Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. If you ever come to a point like Paul did, where you're wrestling with your flesh and the spirit, I want to do what's right, but I just keep messing up and I'm sick of it. Just know that's, that's normal. For example, if you've ever set uh, a spiritual goal for the day, um, like, man, I'm, I'm going to do my best today. I'm not going to lust. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm going to live. I'm going to flee from every temptation that comes my way. And then at the end of the day, you look back and you're like, whoo, I really didn't do very good. <laughs> really messed that up. That's perfectly normal. It's infuriating and frustrating. Uh, but that is part of the constant fight that we face daily. And Paul says, out of frustration, who will set me free from this body of death? And the answer is Christ Jesus. Here's some really good news. Jesus has set us free. And the Holy Spirit will help keep us free as we yield to his leading and walk with him. But we actually have to walk with him. We can't just know all the right things in our head up here, but we have to allow the Spirit to change us and lead us from right here in our heart. And one standout from this passage for me is the part where he says, these two forces are constantly fighting, so you're not free to carry out your own good intentions. And this is part of the Christian struggle that I see so many Christians struggle with. Our intentions are good. We intend on spending our time daily with the Lord, but we get busy and it ends up being just an afterthought. We intend to fight the good fight and flee from temptation, but on our own strength, we fail every time. So sorry, but our own good intentions, they're not enough. We need more than our own good intentions. And some of you need to hear that today, myself included, because we just get in the habit of kind of balancing. You know, we've got the Holy Spirit here, but we've got our own good intentions here. I'm getting ahead of myself, but we need to lean on the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives in us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. Then in verse 18, he says, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. And this basically just means that when we're living by the power of the Spirit, we don't really need to stress over all the do's and don'ts. Because like the text says, the Spirit gives us the desire and will to live in a way that is pleasing to God. We begin to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. And it really is sort of a religion versus relationship situation here. And you can try to follow all of the religious laws that you want. You can try to be a perfect person. Or you can follow the Holy Spirit and work on your relationship with the Lord. And when you do that, it becomes a much more natural process. So before we move to the next point, I just want to ask you this morning, whose strength are you living by? Your own or the strength of the Holy Spirit? Does Christianity seem like you're trying and failing to follow an endless list of rules? Or are you building a relationship with Christ when you're walking step for step with the Holy Spirit? And are you in tune with his desires for your life? Are you repelled by sin or are you flirting with it constantly? Because if you flirt with temptation, you will sin. 
something that my dad said to me over and over and over again as a kid, and it still sticks in my head to this day. If you flirt with temptation, you will sin. So don't try to straddle that fine line, kind of like I said, of your own good intentions and just enough Holy Spirit to get by. God doesn't want you to just get by. He wants you to be holy as he is holy. All right, so that's point number one, the fight. We talked about how to be victorious, and that brings us to point number two, the flesh. And we're going to look at verses 19 through 21, and Paul is going to show us what kind of evil and sin lies deep within the dark corners of our hearts, as well as the types of behavior that come from following our flesh and not the spirit. So continuing in verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul gives us a kind of quick and ugly list of the things that our sinful nature will birth if we let it. And this isn't a comprehensive list by any means. He even says, and other sins like these. And you may have noticed some of the big ones aren't on there, like lying, stealing, killing. Um, and there's plenty more types of sinful behaviors that comes from living for ourselves. But he says, here's some of the big ones. And you should take this as an opportunity to evaluate your own life and what it looks like, because this is the kind of behavior that will lead you to hell. I know that might sound kind of harsh, but he says at the, at the end of verse 21, he says, anyone living this kind of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Just think about that for a second. Yeah, I know. I cleaned it yesterday. It just squeaks. Whatever. It's probably going to happen a few more times. Now, I'm pausing here because we often read over lists like this and we think, okay, this is a list for really bad sinners and not me, so let's keep moving. Well, I'm sorry to inform you, but this is written for you. The world would read this list and think, okay, no big deal. Don't see anything wrong here. So take a second, look at the list that God has placed before you this morning, and take inventory on your own heart. You should be extremely honest and cautious with yourself when you read over this, because like Paul said, these are the things, this is the evidence of someone who is not on their way to heaven. And just to clarify, he's not referring to someone who is doing all of these things at once, but someone who is identified and fulfilled by their sin. And he's also not referring to a common struggle, but more of an open embrace, if that makes sense. Because if we're honest with ourselves, then um, we all probably struggle with a few of these to some degree, at least, because this is what our human nature looks like. But the difference between someone who struggles with sin and someone who lives in sin is pretty vast. When you live in sin, you're constantly justifying it to make yourself feel better about it. Or maybe you've already justified it so much in the past that you don't need to justify it any longer and it's just 
kind of become a part of your life and you've accepted it, you're okay with it. Maybe you're proud of it, maybe you're not proud of it, um, but you're comfortable enough with it to let it stay. And that's dangerous and that's wrong. We can't let sin move into our life and stay, no matter how much of a struggle there is. The Holy Spirit can help us overcome that struggle. So we're just going to take a second and walk through this list together and define some of these, hopefully give you some clarity on what's being said here in this passage. And the first three in the list, they're all sexual sins. Um, We just had Upgrade Sunday a couple weeks ago. If you're in here for the first time, welcome to adult church. The first one is sexual immorality. Basically means any kind of sexual sin outside of marriage. Um, This comes from the Greek word pornea, and it originally meant to use the services of a prostitute, uh, but eventually became kind of an umbrella word for all sexual sin. Then there's impurity, which is really referring to dirty talk. And you know when your parents and grandparents told you, don't tell dirty jokes. It's kind of what they're talking about here. Don't defile your mind, your spirit, or your heart with impure thoughts and words. Then there's lustful pleasures. And this is an open, reckless, ever-increasing pursuit of pleasure that disregards fear of God, love for family, and regard for one's own soul. I'm going to say that again. This is, we're talking about lustful pleasures here. This is an open, reckless, ever-increasing pursuit of pleasure that disregards fear of God, love for family, and regard for one's own soul. The next group of sins are religious sins. Um, Idolatry is putting anything before God, anything that we love more than God, and anything that controls us more than God. Sorcery is the next one on the list. Now, this one comes, this one's interesting. This one comes from the word pharmakia. Can anyone guess what that means? Hey, pharmaceuticals. Yeah, exactly. Um, Drugs is basically what it means, and it's where we get the word pharmaceuticals. Now, just to pause here for one second, because I can tell by some of the looks on your face, like, what? Okay, so what does this mean? Are my prescription medications sorcery? Are these leading me to hell? No. No, you're fine. Um, You're okay. And and if you have further questions about this or anything else, you can email me at brent at desertheightschurch.com. Yeah. (laughs) So sorcery, drugs, these were drugs that were used to enter into an altered state Um, to get high, to have more of an experience with fortune tellers, palm readers, medians, astrologists, and other types of sorcery, all of which are wrong. And I know I just stepped on some of your toes because you're thinking, wait, astrologists? I don't don't understand. Um, There's some of you that love reading your daily horoscopes, but let me tell you, the stars don't determine your future. God does. So just to take this one step further and simplify it for us a little bit, uh, this really comes down to looking for power, peace, understanding, knowledge, wisdom, all the good things that God has to offer us outside of our relationship with him. And since I've already stepped on a few toes, I might as well step on a few more, right? Stay away from Ouija boards. And anything like that. That should go without saying, but some of you have friends that think they're harmless and fun and there's nothing wrong with them. They're wrong. 
Listen to that still small voice inside your heart. And when it tells you to run, run, run the other way. Okay, I know that was a bit of a rabbit trail, um, but there are a lot of things that can be categorized under sorcery. And I just kind of wanted to break it down in a little more uh, applicable way. We as Christians need to stay away from all of them. So the next group of sins here are social sins. And I'll go a little bit faster through these ones. Hostility basically means you just don't get along with anybody. Um, You don't want to be around anyone, and you sure don't want to show love to anyone. Quarreling, this means that you like to argue and you disagree just because you like the drama of it. You think you're right and everybody else is wrong. Um, You're also known as a troublemaker. (laughs) Jealousy and envy, they're both on the list here. I'm going to put them together because they're pretty similar. Um, and this is actually not my definition. This is a definition from a pastor of mine in California when I worked at Calvary Chapel there. Um, but this is really good. Envy wants what the other guy has, and jealousy resents and despises them for having it and wants to take it from them. So envy wants what the other guy has. Jealousy resents that guy and despises him for having it and wants to take it from him. So, I mean, if you had to pick one or the other, I'd pick jealousy. Don't pick sin. (laughs) Uh, Outbursts of anger, just losing your temper and blowing up. Selfish ambition, you're all about yourself. You don't want to do things for God. You want God to do things for you. Dissension and division, these are people that gossip. They split churches, turn friends against each other. These are drama queens on steroids. They make it their mission to not only cause drama, uh, but to cause drama that causes division. Really ugly stuff. And then lastly, he finishes this list with drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. So basically, these are the people that are making fools out of themselves by living in their sin. And not just living in it, but rejoicing in it and living for it. These are the people that are counting down the days until the weekend so they can just party all weekend and then sleep all day Sunday because they're hungover. And he finishes this section uh, by repeating his warning and he says, anyone who's living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, if this is what a person on their way to hell looks like, then I don't want my life to look like this in any way, shape, or form. Amen? So that wraps up point number two. We just saw how ugly our flesh can be. And now Paul is going to give us a refreshing contrast of what our life can look like when it bears the fruit of the Spirit. So point number three, the fruit. Everybody say the fruit. And if you're watching online, you know what to do. Type it in the chat. Let's read this list out loud together. This is the the fruit of the Spirit. This is really important. Everyone should have this memorized. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Ready? Here we go. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this is not a list of human traits, but really what our life should look like when we yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to take a few minutes just to walk through this list and take a practical look at what these fruits look like in our own lives when the Spirit is alive in us. So the first one is love. It didn't do it that time. 
This is probably the most popular and sought after fruit, but it's also probably the most misunderstood and polluted fruit because we tend to throw out what the Bible defines as love and kind of come up with our own definition of love and what love is or what it should look like. At least the world does that for sure. And they, shut, they, they come up with their own definition and then they shove it on us. This is what love is like. This is what love is like. And actually, we're going to read here just in a second of what love really is. Um, and just as a reminder, we're going to read the, the biblical definition. And we've heard it all a million times before. But every time I read it, something else jumps off the page and challenges me and convicts me to love better. And hopefully the same will happen for you this morning. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So this is the biblical definition of love, uh, but taking this a step further, the best lived out example of this biblical love would be obviously the life of Jesus. That selfless, sacrificial love that gave up everything for us, his bride that he loved so dearly. The love that prayed for the people that were killing him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. This is the type of love that will manifest and should be present in the life of the believer who has the Holy Spirit inside of them, hence the fruit of the Spirit. Is this the kind of love that's in your heart? It's not just loving the people that love you or treat you well or give you gifts or they're just easy to get along with. This is the kind of love that loves the unlovable, the EGRs, that's extra grace required. Some people require extra grace. And we need the fruit of the Spirit, love, to love those people. Now let's talk about joy. We could talk about love all day, but we're going to keep moving through this list. Let's talk about joy. This is another product of the Holy Spirit, and it's really an unexplainable delight in the Lord that can't be extinguished no matter the circumstance. It's not a fake kind of front. Life happens and life is hard, but it's a lot easier when the joy of the Lord is our strength. We find joy in knowing that God holds the whole world in his hands and that when this life ends, our real life in eternity with Jesus begins. And it really is a beautiful fruit. Next up is peace. This is defined as a soul rest or deep, profound sense of rest in the wisdom and sovereignty of God and not our own. This is resting in the fact that our sins are paid for and there is nothing that we can do to mess up God's plan for our life. A peace that surpasses all understanding. We don't have to understand what's happening in the world around us because we know that God is on the throne. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Living by that will naturally bear the fruit of peace in us. Now let's talk about all of our favorite fruit, patience. 
Hallelujah. <laughs> really, all this means is long fused. And we put up with it, 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 and there's never a boom. We can be bad about this one, huh? A lot of Christians, a lot of people in this church <laughs> over the last couple of years have told me, I am this close to losing it. And I understand. I totally get it. Why are you laughing, Liz? <laughs> I didn't say anything funny. Gosh. Just be careful. Don't spoil that fruit. Maybe the situation that you're in right now is testing your patience, and maybe God is watering the fruit of patience in your life. He is in mine, and maybe he is in yours. Don't let that fuse burn out. Keep on keeping on for the glory of God. And next up on the list is kindness. This is an encouraging person who goes above and beyond to serve other people. They always want to bless and give and lift people up and be there for them however they can. This is being nice, but turned up to 11. You can laugh at this one too, Liz. <laughs> it's turned up to 11 by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural level of niceness. Someone who is just forgiving. <laughs> Someone who is forgiving and full of grace and mercy. <laughs> Moving along. Goodness. This is a person who loves to do what is right and has a strong desire to do good. And one writer called it a moral shining. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. Faithfulness. This person is the most reliable person there is. They're always there for you. You can always count on them. And they're sticking, sticking with you no matter what. They ride or die. Gentleness. I like this one. I like these kind of people. I like this fruit. It's a very uh, easy to be around fruit. People ask me all the time, what's your favorite fruit? I'm like, uh, gentleness. <laughs> That's not what I meant. Well, <laughs> These people are just easy to be around. They never get mad um, or rarely ever get mad. Uh, they can encourage or correct in such a loving way um, that makes you feel good. You're like, oh, you're right, I am wrong. Okay. <laughs> they don't have a mean bone in their body. You could treat them like garbage and they would be totally unfazed. These people are not quick to condemn, but they're very quick to forgive and pour out love. And of course, this would be a fruit of the Spirit because this is something we see in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's job is to help transform us to be more like Christ. So naturally, this would be one of those fruits. And lastly on the list is self-control. And this just means mastery of self. And Proverbs says that uh, a man or woman without self-control is like a city without walls. This one's big. This one's been referred to as the king of all virtues because if you don't have it, then you're in big trouble. You're doomed. If you don't have self-control, then you're gonna respond or react or give into temptation. You won't care about what'll happen in your marriage or your life. You'll impulsively, you will live impulsively and wreck everything. Now, this one's interesting because it's called self-control. 
But you know, our self, what we just talked about, our human nature is corrupt and sinful. So how can we, how can self-control be so important if our self is so sinful? Well, the important factor uh, to consider here is that he's not talking about willpower. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in us, Christ in us, the power of God inside of us, which is exactly the power that we need. And he says, there's no law against these things. And what he's really saying here is, listen, I know you're worried about living a perfect life and keeping the law. But if this is the way that you're living and you have these fruits in your life, then there's nothing to worry about. You don't need to worry about the law because you're being led by the Holy Spirit. And there's, man, there's so much peace in that. And he makes a good point and answers a question that some of you may have. Well, how do I know if I'm living by my own strength or the power of the Spirit? Um, well, which list does your life look more like? The fruit of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit? Now, he finishes up, finishes up this passage with a quick strategy guide on what it looks like to put this into action and how we can allow the Holy Spirit to start working in us. And it's a two-step guide here. And the first step is in verse 24. He says, those who belong to Christ, and here's step number one, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And it's interesting because he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and sinful desires to the cross of Jesus. So there's an expectation that this is something that we have already done. So have you? I know a lot of you have, and a lot of you have made that public proclamation of faith by getting baptized and striving to live a holy life. But if you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus and crucified your sins, your sin nature on the cross, then I encourage you to do that this morning. And you can do that simply by just calling out to the Lord in prayer and simply just saying, Lord, I've got sin in my life and I know it's wrong. I want to give it to you and I don't want the sin to control me. I don't want to be known as a sinner, but I want to be known as your child and I want to be full of the fruit of the Spirit. If you want to talk to me more about this after service, I'd love to lead you in a prayer or a prayer team. Uh, some, at least a few people from our prayer team will be available to pray with you at the front after we dismissed. Um, so this casting our sins to the cross is something we do when we believe and we're saved, but it's also something that we can continue to do. And I'm not talking about getting resaved or double-dipped in baptism. Doesn't work like that. I'm talking about how when, when temptation comes our way and that sin nature starts to creep back in, you can simply shut it down by saying, nope, not today, Satan. And taking that sinful thought or temptation and casting it to the foot of the cross and take a second and just pray and say, Lord, thank you for taking my sin upon yourself. I give this to you now and I choose to live a life that's holy and live for your glory. Then the second step and how he finishes this chapter is found in verse 25. He says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So he says, if you want to live by the Spirit, 
then you need to follow the Spirit's leading in your life. Don't follow your heart, which is something that the world loves to preach at us. You know what? You deserve to be happy. Just follow your heart. No, no, don't follow your heart. Your heart is sinful. It'll lead you astray. You need to follow the Holy Spirit. If you want to live a God-honoring life, you need to follow the Holy Spirit. Now, what does following the Spirit look like? And all of the obvious things come to my mind, like spending time in prayer, reading your Bible, doing your soap. It is Soap Sunday. Hopefully you filled out your commitment card. Worshiping, going to church, coming to classes on Wednesday night, family prayer, just being in fellowship with the body of Christ. These are all small steps that you can take to walk with and follow the Spirit. But think about this. If you're trying to follow someone and they start walking away and you don't take any steps, they'll be gone before you know it. You'll be left behind. Not a pun intended there, I promise. But you'll be lost. And so some of you today, you have good intentions. You want to follow the Holy Spirit, but it's been a really long time since you've taken any of these simple, small steps. And I want to encourage you to start stepping. You can't follow someone if you're not close to them, if you can't see them. But if you draw near to the Lord, he will draw near to you. I know I pray that all the time, and that is scripture. Draw near to the Lord, and he will draw near to you. Spend time taking those steps and walk with the Holy Spirit step for step as he leads you, and his fruit will start to blossom in your life. You've been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We would like to invite you to one of our service times at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings here in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.